I love the romantic ideal of doing a full U.S. tour, late night drives, soul-bearing conversations, but the idea that you have to tackle an arbitrarily defined piece of imperialist geography all at one go is kind of wild. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is Selling Out. I'm the casino that pays nothing when you win. Hello, you're listening to Sellin' Out, a podcast about music and money, both of which are now quickly receding into the fog of history. Rose-colored glasses, now's your time to shine. I'm Mike Moschetto, and today I'm joined by my good pal, Jake Woodruff, guitarist extraordinaire. You probably know him best as a longtime member of the hardcore band Defeater, who have been a, a super visible, I guess a breakout band in that genre for going on a decade now. If you were really plugged into that scene back in 2010 or 2011, maybe you had a Tumblr account or maybe you were a frequent absolute punk or property of Zach Reader even, you might remember hearing about The Wave, a group of five bands carrying the torch of a more progressive, melodic, emotional form of hardcore. And those bands were Touche Amore, La Dispute, Pianos Become the Teeth, Make Do and Mend, and Defeater. Who passed them that torch? It's not clear. Where were they going with it? Nobody knows. Why those five bands at the exclusion of so many others who were perhaps just as prolific or just as influential or just as good? Reasonable people can disagree, but what seems pretty certain to me anyway is that despite any consternation, the Wave branding succeeded in elevating Defeater to becoming one of Bridge Nine Records' best-selling artists for a while and eventually to sign with Epitaph Records, which is about as big league as you can get for any punk-adjacent band. In any case, Jake has had a front row seat for their meteoric rise, but has always kept it real. He's remained active with Dream Tigers, his other pre-defeater project, whose first LP I had the pleasure of recording and playing a little on, very underrated group. And he's also frequently, if not always, accompanying his lovely wife, Aisha Burns, who herself is an accomplished singer-songwriter and violinist in the band Balmeray. Despite being such a busy man, Jake joined me from San Antonio, where he and Aisha are currently living, to discuss his view on the coronavirus pandemic in Texas, how he came to be lent a different amp every night of a tour of Italy, and de-romanticizing that DIY dream. Without further ado, here's my talk with Jake. I've never gone so long without a haircut since I, like, shaved my head. Were you one of those Not fucking good. protesters, man? Um, I'm thinking about it. It's getting to that <laughs> point. So uh, how long have you been sheltering in place? I don't know what the language they're using down there is. What's, what has Texas been like? I don't... It's been weird, man. Basically, we just started doing it when, like, Massachusetts and New York started um, not leaving their houses. Closing businesses yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and, like self-quarantining or whatever. I guess that's the proper term for it. So what has this meant for your work situation? You're you're like a, a, a contractor or a woodworker of some repute. Is that not so? <laughs> uh, well, I, I do that stuff. I can't speak to the reputation. <laughs> it has completely dried up. Is, oh, yeah. is and it not considered essential in Texas? It is considered essential, but I am not considered essential. You're so, like an independent guy, yeah, yeah. independent contractor. I'm an independent contractor, and the situation in Texas is real weird. 
just because we're taking it very seriously, but we seem to be the outlier. Like I went to go pick up something yesterday and a total stranger who was wearing a mask tried to shake my hand after our brief <laughs> like eight to 10 feet away interaction. And I was like really puzzled by that. They're um, testing you. Yeah. You passed. Yeah. It was very strange. Um, so I don't know. It's like a big hodgepodge because we're like the fourth most visited city in Texas. So the cases aren't really that bad. And there's a few military bases and like, so there's military hospitals and like um, civilian hospitals, I guess, private hospitals. So there's a bunch of medical infrastructure. So one of our neighbors is a surgeon and he was saying that it's actually been like well within the capacity of everything here. So we don't have a lot of cases. People are usually pretty cavalier down here anyway. Mm. It's just a really strange mix. I kind of had two things going on work-wise. I was remodeling a bathroom in Austin a few days a week and working for for a welder in town here a few days a week. And both mm. of those jobs shut down at the same time because obviously the bathroom is in someone's house and um, their daughter has really bad asthma. So oh yeah, they actually have been really strict and my boss has a few people on his crew and because I had like other things going on and he's the only one not on W2, um, yeah, he's been like working when he can, but I think keeping four people afloat is, isn't really in the cards right now. Yeah. Um, has that been, has this been your, uh, your day job through most of your adult life? Like just kind of going from job to job or have you worked for a company or is it just on your own or what's the. So it's been my most consistent hustle other than music for the last, God, seven or eight years. I think, but I started doing it in college to like during the summers to help pay for college. So I don't know. I had a bunch of jobs. I think I sat down and counted them and I think I'm at like 34 or 35 different Oh my God. <laughs> jobs. Like different types of jobs or different companies? Uh, I think different types of job would be like five or six. St- okay. Still pretty. Yeah. I mean, how, so I'm curious how else you've navigated uh, supporting your bad music habit. Yeah, exactly. Dude, the the life-ruining music habit. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. This is a construction carpentry, uh, house painting. Um, I was a barista for a few years. I worked at a bar. I worked at a catering company. Um, I was an English as a second language teacher. Hmm. Um, I was a, like, after-school homework helper at the same, at that same place. Did you work at Atomic Cafe? Is that? Yeah, yeah, for a bunch of right years. On. And cool, cool, cool. that's kind of like where Dream Tigers started. Oh, neat. Um, oh, shoot. I, you know what? I was also working at Montserrat College of Art as a writing tutor. Wow. That's another okay. job. Oh, I, was, uh, I worked at a, the MIT library, too, for a month. Um, okay. Just chalked that. I don't know what the tally's at right now. When, when did you join Defeater, exactly? I know you weren't in, in the band from the ground. Pretty... Pretty soon after that, I actually didn't realize how soon after, because uh, the band yeah, it seems got, like things happened very fast. Yeah, like when I became aware of them, I'd assumed they'd been going for a while, and then I joined in October of two thousand nine. I met those guys because Dream Tigers recorded at Getaway. Then Gus quit kind of right after that, but I'd been hanging out with them while they recorded Lost Ground, and then. When Gus quit, they asked me to fill in for like, I think it was a Columbus Day weekend, you know, back when we called it that. 
uh, <laughs> Indigenous People's <laughs> Indi- Day weekend. Yeah, sure. Indigenous People's Day weekend. Thank- Come on. Thankfully. Fuck Christopher Columbus. <laughs> yeah. So they had like three shows with Hostage Calm. And then it was just a really fun time. And they were like, you want to do that again? And I was like, I have literally nothing else going on besides working at Atomic and being an ESL teacher. Did Defeater already have a lot of momentum when you were when you were getting involved? Or were you pulled into a certain orbit? Or was there a point you can point to where things really accelerated for you? Yeah, things were really fun, but there wasn't like momentum, so to speak. Like we were playing really fun house shows. The best. Like just ha- completely having fun with it. And a few months after that, like after Lost Ground had been out for a while, we did a West Coast tour with All Teeth and then did a South by Southwest tour. And then we went to Europe. And somewhere along that spring is kind of like when things really started popping, I guess. Like, is that when like the wave branding came around? Is that <laughs> it was about a year before that. Nobody talks about that anymore. That was like, thank God. That was that was, that so was huge for guys like me, though. That's cool. Know. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to. No, mean to I, no, I, I understand. Um, I understand. Like labeling anything is you know takes a little yeah. bit of the joy out of it. But uh, I think the only sour taste that that left in my mouth was there were a bunch of other bands initially that were a part of that whole crew. You know, like. Former Thieves, Into It Over It, Koji. Mm. There were a whole bunch of other bands doing rad stuff that I don't see get mentioned as much. But yeah, that sure, was a, that sure. was a really good time. Monikers aside, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I I know that now um, Defeater operates over a, a wide geographical distance <laughs> from yeah. one another. So so all of your activities have to be super deliberate anyway. Um, yep. But how have Defeater's plans been upended by the pandemic? Are you at liberty to divulge any tours that may not have even been announced yet, but have to have been postponed? Or We were working on, we were lucky that, I guess, weirdly, like un- backhandedly lucky that we didn't have that much we were working on. We were trying hmm. to go to some new places this year and we were confirmed, we are confirmed on Furnace Fest in Alabama, but I approached any booked or hypothetical date at this point with a lot of skepticism because obviously, <laughs> like right, I, don't, right. I don't think it's going to be safe to try and get as many people as possible in the same place and get them as close to each other as possible. You know, like having a hardcore show isn't going to be safe for a really long time. Like people pile on. I guess this as- is a different, different version of crowd killing. Yeah, we don't really do any of that. Uh, I, know a, I know a microscopic particle that does. <laughs> that's true. Um, wow. That was dark and deep. Thank you. Thank you. Had a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. How far in are we? You already hit me with the, uh, the crowd killing virus joke. Yeah. I, you know, why wait? <laughs> what does it mean to kind of run a band like a business in some sense? Like by not doing anything, are things suffering Are you know, like what's the outlook? We already had to do a lot of adjusting over the past couple of years for a variety of reasons with everyone's personal lives. So we do still like once you start running your band, like a business that is a facet of running your band, but none of us are in a position like we all appreciate and count on any like touring money that we get from defeater, but everyone has like their day job at this point. Sure. Um, totally. And it's been that way for a few years. Not all along. 
almost all along. There was for most of 2011, like the fabled wave time that you were talking about for most of 2011 and like I guess again for a minute no no I'd say just 2011 we were just away from home so nobody had another job that must have been kind of scary like oh it was awesome um well fuck me I guess I well like we were all living in like really weird ad hoc cheap living situation you know like I had five roommates in Beverly and my rent was like 250 a month or something like, okay. Yeah. So we were all just like, let's do this. And for, for a little while, it seemed like, cause I don't know, there was a lot of like buzz or whatever at that point, And we were all like, um, is that when empty days came out? Yes. Yeah. Empty okay. days came out, um, March of that year and then was followed by parting the sea, the Tuesday record. You guys had a lot of alt press articles and yeah stuff going on. <laughs> yeah and then a lot of spirit released wildlife like early that fall i think wow yeah so there was a lot of like everyone was getting managers and like taking it really seriously and like we were all gunning for being like career musicians and having that you know the dream that everyone talks about was like flickering in front of us wow. which was really the great post-hardcore boom of 2011 <laughs> yeah, exactly i don't think anyone got like real lost in that but it was like oh man like we could be away from home and pay all our bills this is sick Mm. yeah so i guess that's that's the only time in the whole like life of the band that nobody had a like a home job sure yeah but even then like that Um, was that was super stressful like halfway through that year andy quit to run green vans and we got joe yes which was awesome and now i don't know what my life would be like if i hadn't met that guy like my best friend that happens to be like one of the best drummers I've ever even heard of. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you in a way kind of are the avatar of like close friendships over music through this community to me. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what I take away from being friends with you and like knowing you kind of valuing that stuff. Cool. Is that unusual? (laughs) um, No, I, I guess it's not. But I think that there are certainly exceptions to it, right? Where people are more kind of transactional and once you kind of run your course with someone you stop hearing from them whether it's just on a professional basis or personal do you know what i mean kind i guess of like yeah you know jobbers right what's a jobber <laughs> don't do this to me no man i really what someone you would call in a pinch but that's it like there's no connection there there's no like shared experience leading to something more profound do you know what i'm saying is that a musical term <laughs> Or like I've, a, I've heard it, I guess not uh, as ubiquitously as I thought. Have you and the Defeater guys been in touch since this started? Are you trying to work around this somehow or... We, catching um, any plans? Yeah, we, uh, I mean, we're constantly talking and bantering because we're all like, we're all spread out, but we're all in a very similar situation right now. So, yeah, just trading like anecdotes about being quarantined. I know you just did a record, uh, put out a record last year. So, uh, is any music getting passed around or not yet? Stuff's been being talked about. We were fortunate enough to finish round one of like the modest amount of touring we had on that record because we did east coast record release shows and then a two-week midwest run 
four days on the West Coast, but we hit Seattle to LA. So like in broad strokes, we've covered a lot of the country. And I realized that left out the Southeast and Texas where I live right now. Um, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I realize that it's not a six week full US tour. I feel like I see less of that now though, especially from like bigger bands. Man, thank God. Yeah? Yeah. Some people like I, go for that though. Some people are way into it. Do you want to elaborate on that? And then I could offer some counterpoint. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's to elaborate. Some people love just like watching the landscape roll by, I guess. I do. Know? I do love that. Um, I guess like the same people who could maybe be truck drivers in another life. Some of them do become truck drivers. And that's, you know, I thought about it. <laughs> yeah. From the, across from the office uh, that in that big building, there was a, the, the New England tractor trailer training school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like some of them become bus drivers, like tour bus drivers. Right. And that's, that's a great too, job. Yeah. Um, like mm. our, my friend Connor did that. Uh, like for bands or like coach kind of tours? For bands. Okay. I loved when you're young and you're really pushing a band and just going for it and you're having like late night drives and really like soul bearing conversations while like, you know, the night sky rolls by and if the shows are amazing, like that's, then you're in this like wonderful sleep deprived haze of existence having been there for like four or five solid years where like that was the mo one to two of those a year with a bunch of other smaller tours and a couple trips to europe and maybe australia that really starts to take its toll on you and maybe it's just the way that defeater ended up naturally progressing in that like i felt like we were trading playing really cool shows for doing tours like for the sake of replicating what's the business term like bringing it to scale so i i think like my aversion to full u.s tours isn't like because i hate spending six weeks playing music like i love playing music i mean most of what you're doing is not playing music really that's i mean that's a very good point and most of the people that put those together have never done them um so they don't (laughs) know how exhausting it is and I think about that a lot when I see a tour that goes from like DC to Boston, then to Pittsburgh, then to like Richmond all in four days, you know, yeah. like, just like, okay, you've never looked at a map, have you? No. And like the headlining bands on a bus, but like that poor opening band that's making like less than what it takes to put gas in a van between all those places. You can already see like the empty circles under their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's wearing like a badge of honor. Yeah. And hoping that their friend who's doing most of the driving isn't falling asleep or, you know, like, okay. So like you've talked me off a ledge. It's that kind of stuff. Like I love the like romantic ideal of doing a full U S (laughs) tour, feeling like you've been home. I I was having a conversation really early on with like, I think before I'd done a full U S uh, my buddy, Greg, he was in this band called The Risk Taken from Connecticut. That was awesome. Um, and their full U.S. tour, he, like we were hanging out when he got home and he was like, man, I feel like like people had kids and they're like two years old now. And like, like I just feel like I missed so much. Like, I feel like I haven't seen you in three years, but I saw you two months ago. Like just the weird way that time rolls. Yeah. Roll, keeps rolling when you're away from home. Personally, I didn't really experience that like mind 
breaking, like unfettering from your like home base until we had mm. done our first stretch where we were away from home for four months with only sleeping in your own bed, like the one or two nights during that time you played in Massachusetts. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That really, <laughs> I feel like something broke in my brain that will never ever be whole again. <laughs> and then it happened again, like three or four times after that. And, but I, I don't know, like, I'm kind of thankful for that at the same time. I just know, like, I'm never getting back whatever, like, sense of normalcy that was. Um, well, I, yeah, I guess it makes you appreciate your home life. Then. Definitely. I guess the only thing, so to bring this all to a conclusion, if you're doing the, like, DIY full U.S. tour, that's awesome in its own way. But doing that for more than two or three years is insane, like, not mm. healthy. And if you're doing the more, like corporate full U.S. touring, but you aren't in a space where you are like, have a full crew and everyone has a job and there's like a division of labor so everyone can be healthy while they're on the road. That's super draining still. But the only reason you're out for six weeks and not two weeks is so people other than yourself can get well from it. Like when you have like a front of house guy, you want to get your front of house guy paid, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and like on a, if you have a front of house guy, you probably have someone handling just the driving that can sleep when they're not driving. And you have just a merch person. Everyone has their job, but everyone has enough downtime to take care of themselves. The idea that you have to tackle a arbitrarily defined piece of imperialist geography all at one go is kind of wild. Air travel, the new frontier, yeah, the new rem- DIY frontier. Remember that? Yeah, well, uh, barely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had a trip to visit home booked in like late March, early April. Yeah, it didn't happen, huh? No. So on, on, a, on a more personal level, like what has your musical productivity been like while much of the country has been shuttered? And are you, do you, I, this is kind of becoming a boilerplate question, but do you feel any pressure to continue creating like do you want to come out of this hibernation with something to show for it or does life still manage to get in the way or i do feel pressure to like now that everyone seems to be like or you know the the everyone in quotes on like social media um seems to be like adapting to this new music industry landscape and you know like pumping out relaunching their podcasts (laughs) hey um both of us have felt at moments more pressure to like keep up with that it feels like you have less of an excuse because it's like oh well now everyone's in their home and like i've been trying to ignore any like feelings of competition and just really use this time to like talk to the people in my household more and like i don't know the quiet moments have been really nice but i have been able to finish a couple projects finally finished vocals for a new dream tigers record and oh wow yeah super stoked on that now i feel like i can create more new stuff um clean your slate a little bit yeah definitely and just i don't know like if you have a project i'm sure you've like you just released an instrumental track yeah yeah Yeah. it's no i haven't even been working on it for a while like I don't have like a, a regular band anymore. So all of the stuff that I've put out in the last six weeks or whatever it's been has been like just a product of noodling. I, you know, I got a big pedal board now and I'm one of those guys. <laughs> awesome. 
talked about how you uh, accompany Aisha and then there's other acts like Thor and Friends uh, that'll often bring you overseas, leading to something that you call Euro Amp Roulette. Um, <laughs> as a guy who used to run a blog about amps, I love it, but um, talk about that. Okay. Um, that started the first time that I went overseas with Aisha, which was a nine-show tour of just Italy. Molto bene. Yeah, man, that was, the tour was awesome, but that was the first time that we were like, we just need an amp, basically. Because, like, my job in that project at that point was to just do my best impression of a string section on guitar with a lot of washy reverb. Heard of it. Yeah. So it seemed like a good opportunity to just not backline an amp. And, yeah, it's kind of started as a joke during that tour but it ended up being really fun. And you're getting a different amp on each date. Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. And it was all like, because it's a really small combo amp, it was always like, this is my cousin's prized possession. Or like, this is this weird amp that was made here between like 1983 and 1991 by like a radio <laughs> company. Wow. And some of them were pretty janky, but like most of them were really cool. <laughs> it was just nice to like, kind of like more personally document the amps and like how how they sounded to me in each room. Who's organizing this? Who's who's arranging this for you? So that was a promoter in Italy that had booked for Balmeray. Yeah, he did that tour. His name's John Luca. He's a great enigma of a man that loves music. <laughs> um, he's one of those promoters that just I think this happens more in Europe where there's you know government money and more of like a cultural understanding and appreciation for the arts, but you're just always taken care of. And that's such a good feeling. Oh um, my God, yeah. It's never 2.30 a.m., four hours from a Motel 6 with any rooms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Boy, it makes me think that if we had, because, you know, you're right, they do totally take care of you with whatever you, whatever your heart desires over there. And if I had said like, yo, we need like a place to stay, a fresh meal and money and an amp, probably would have gotten it. Yeah. I've I've talked about this before, but whenever we would set out to go on tour and like the first like usually six hour drive to Philadelphia, I'm just like, oh, fuck, you know, like what (laughs) what have we done? And then when we went to Europe, it was like we took a bus to New York, stayed a night, flew out of New York, lay over in Stockholm. The first show was in Prague, like basically three days from when we left our house. Yeah. And uh, the whole time I was just like, fuck, oh my God, like maybe this was a huge mistake. Yeah. Like, and we're like many thousands of dollars into it already. Yeah. And the first show was in Prague with no locals. And people still like came out in droves, which was fucking, I, I yeah, can't even man. put it into words. It's so it's, weird. It's awesome. And it's yeah. very strange. Like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Europe was the first place playing with Defeater where like people would come up to me and be like, hey, do you have that Dream Tiger 7-ish that just came out? Wow. And I'm like, that's funny. Dude, like, I I have a box of them in my bag that I, you know, whatever, like, we got to the Kinda show late or something that I didn't put on the merch table tonight. But yes, you can have one. <laughs> like, what? That's so funny. Yeah. Like, people just pay attention. You know, the day that we're recording this, 
uh, Great Scott has announced that it will close Man, the, yeah. the great bar and venue in Boston. It's a big, huge bummer. Not due to coronavirus, but apparently because like the landlord is just not renewing their lease. What cool. the f- Well, let me not speculate too wildly, but let's say that <laughs> yeah. presumably due to coronavirus. So like, you know, in all the places that you've been, are there other like venue, not just venues, but uh, businesses, music businesses, record stores, labels that you're especially worried won't survive uh, the economic contraction, whether it's oh, you man. know where you are in San Antonio or back here in Boston or yeah. even someplace halfway around the world that you're just attached to? Dude, that's an overwhelming question. I'd say like a bunch of the ones that I loved have already shut their doors. There's a place in Italy that we played on that Aisha Burns tour called Teatro Altrove in Genoa. Part of the building was from like the 14th century, I think. Wow. Um, Is this little theater, but it was like everything you ever wanted in one building. There's like, there's like a radio station that played, had a really wild mix of music a vegan restaurant and the best sounding oldest theater. (laughs) Mm. And you got there by, there's like a part of the city that you can't drive a car through because it, it's super old. So it's all these like winding, like dizzying, uh, four foot wide walking (laughs) paths between buildings. But it was just felt like this mystical place. And I, Last I heard, that place wasn't in existence anymore. Uh, so, um, I mean, I guess the bigger threat is really just the same economic forces that would normally threaten venues, I guess. Yeah, and I think in Europe, historically and like culturally, there's more support from the government for places like that to pop up again and more yeah, support yeah. within the populace because people are more secure in their like economic existence, which lets them have fun. Boy, imagine that. Um, yeah. Imagine having fun. No, I like my freedom. What I wouldn't give to have a little fun here there. <laughs> Up to and including my freedom. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you know, it's already happening where you are, but, you know, businesses and schools and services will reopen. But I, I have to imagine most will likely remain closed for some time, like, you know, bars and venues and theaters and stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure it changes from day to day. I know it does for me. But what is what is your outlook on when you'll get back to a gig, whether you're playing or attending? Or like, are you hesitant, or would you be first in line? Wow. I do not want to do that until it's absolutely safe for everyone to do so. Sure. So I think I don't think we're going to be doing that until we either have widespread testing or a vaccine that most of the population has had. Mm. I think with that, that's the general feeling about it. Like that said, I'm very, very optimistic. Like I'm going to be so fucking thankful when it actually does happen. And Mm. so excited to just like have that experience that not only everyone on like the industry side quote unquote that's worried about like how that's going to happen on the other end of this but all the like there's not going to be any like passive crowds or like audiences after this right right we all i don't know i was talking with phil jameson like uh i don't know either like two hours or three weeks ago the way (laughs) time exists in this quarantine (laughs) thing and we're talking about this exact question and i was just at the same time as I'm really worried for everyone's well-being in 
any shoddy industry in America. And by that, I mean like most industries in America are pretty unstable (laughs) and like, you know, the workers are like the last people thought of. It's almost like it's uh, uh, endemic to America. Dude, almost. It's almost like on I don't want to go that far, but it's very nearly (laughs) like that. (laughs) As much as I'm really anxious for all the people whose livelihood is tied to that industry surviving this like interim period, the fact that everyone going through this right now is having to actively not participate in things that they loved, but also probably took for granted. But also like on top of that, we're all like having that thrown into extra relief because we're all thinking about death, like like the <laughs> yeah. very real possibility of dying, which is horrendous. And like, look out for your friends and, you know, check in on everybody if you can. And like, we'll all get through this when we stay connected. But at the end of that, I'm just really hopeful that that makes everyone realize collectively even more, even sharper, like what we all value and what just the simple act of getting people in a room together and like sharing anything really like food, but uh, artistic, like musical performance, what that means to everyone and like how much we took that for granted possibly before that. And I I think the bright spot too is that you know, there's right now there's just no demand, but there will be, right? Like, yeah, that definitely. And I think, I don't think that demand's going anywhere. Um, yeah. So when people are like, small venues are gone forever, it's like, we won't all get collective amnesia and like forget that this was a thing we loved. Like, when it's safe yeah. to reopen things, people are going to be reopening them because a lot of people will want them to reopen. Yeah, I guess even if it's not the same building that you used to go to shows in. Yeah, right? exactly. No, no, you just got to have house shows again. You just got to say, fuck it. You got to have house shows, but fuck also- the police. Definitely. Make noise. Man, yes. <laughs> Everyone's going to want that to happen. And everyone is going to be more conscious of the things other than coronavirus that are making them not happen. Yeah. If things don't change because of coronavirus, like some structural things that would make what we're talking about easier- like play music in America. But if we don't get like fucking universal health care and rent control and just a more equitable playing field so that the people that work and make this country function can feel safer and more supported in that, like people have already been through a situation where they saw leaders not caring about the possibility of them dying and mm. I don't think we can all go through that together and not be like, fuck you. No, we deserve those things and we're going to get them because fuck Small you Small live forever. music venues for all. <laughs> Small live music venues, healthcare, you know. Yeah, yeah. Everything. One and the same. Yeah. The episode that will come out before this one, mm-hmm. I thought that one got political. My God. <laughs> Did I get too political? My bad. No, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not opposed to it. I just, I just can't espouse any of my own... Um, predilections because this is your podcast i know but i you know i work for the media outside of this podcast i'm i'm just a little careful is all you know like i like that about you yeah i can i I can make my little snarky comments here and there. that's enough that's fine see my problem is i think i'm being careful and then people say wow this podcast got political and i'm like oh god damn it well i think it's i think that's an okay reaction yeah um i feel like just there's no way that anything that I say that would have like 
a, a Marxist reading would be surprising, right? Like yeah, there's yeah, just yeah. no, you'd have to be acting in bad faith to be like, I can't believe you would say that like labor is entitled to all it creates, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially, that, it's May Day, goddammit. I'm going to get a little clip. Yeah, right? If you appreciated what you heard today, please support any and all of Jake's projects. If I were to highlight a specific one, it would be the Wishing Well LP from Dream Tigers that I worked on. But truly, it's all good. And as always, I'll have links and information in the episode description, including the ever-growing Spotify playlist of all the music I've featured on the show. To support Selling Out with a financial contribution, head to patreon.com slash sellingoutpodcast. And remember that all through the month of May, those per-episode contributions will be matched by me and donated to Get Us PPE to help medical personnel in overburdened hospital systems acquire crucial masks, gloves, gowns, face shields, whatever else they may need to keep themselves out of harm's way. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at sellingoutpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at sellingoutad, and on Instagram at sellingoutpodcast. Please consider leaving a nice rating or review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast app of choice. It helps others find the show. Alternatively, you can leave a link to it in the comments of the latest viral disinformation video that's making the rounds of the dark underbelly of Facebook. Oh yeah, they were actually just talking about 5G towers or whatever on my favorite podcast, Selling Out, and no one will be the wiser. Cover photo by Nick DiNatale, theme music by Such Gold. I'm Mike Moschetto. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time for more Selling Out. Selling Out.